This is the Shutterbug Life Podcast, episode 40, and today we're talking about seven questions and more you have when you're buying a lens. Welcome to Shutterbug Life Podcast. If photography is not just something you do, but who you are, this is a place for you. In this podcast, we talk about everything you need to be, do, or have to reach your true potential. Let's celebrate the creative photographer's lifestyle with your host, my dad, Linford Morton. Hi, welcome to the Shutterbug Life Podcast again. Again, episode number 40. My name is Linford Morton, but of course you can call me Lynn. And this is the podcast for us photographers who who are enthusiasts and who are looking for ways to learn how to get better and uh, to meet, reach our potential. Everything you need to be, do, or have is what I like to think about it as. So glad you are joining again for another episode and we are back on the gear topic, seven questions you might have about buying lenses. I mean, I broke it down to seven questions as a way of organizing it, but we're going we're gonna to really talk about a whole lot more than just seven things. But these are all the topics you'll care about if you, if you evaluate lenses. So that's what we'll have on store for today. Before we get going, I just want to thank all of Everyone who participated in the Worldwide Photo Walk Day, which was on October 3, not just our team, but just any any team, they were all around the world on that day. We all went out and did photo walks and shared them. And I, I, I love that concept so much because this is the way we as photographers can take what can be a very, a very lonely, um, uh, lonely, I should say sport, but sometimes when, when if we just shoot by ourselves and for ourselves, it can it can be sort of isolating. So I like that we can take photography and add the social component back into it with photo walks. And then you know, this is where you meet other people who have uh, the same interests, other kindred spirits, where we get to share, we get to laugh a little, we get to learn from each other. And overall, it's fun after the end of the photo walk when we see what everyone else photographed on the same walk as us. You know, we all are walking the same path, but everyone sees something different. And it's always fun to see how that plays itself out. So thanks to all the old friends who showed up and the new ones, uh, uh, Gerald and Rob and, and, uh, <laughs> Rob got me thrown out of a barber shop when we were going in there trying to take pictures and we almost got in but then the um the barbers said that they were had concerns about the clients and you know it's not really a photo walk unless you've been tossed out of somewhere I think all right we got tossed off of the whole foods uh, sidewalk when we were trying to t- photograph the pumpkins there and it was just, but, you know, outside of that, it was a rainy day, but we still had lots of fun. So thanks to all of you guys who came out and shot with our team from Adams Morgan and uh, and then anywhere else where you might have participated in a photo walk. And then the other thing is, of course, I announced that we are doing the Photo Plus Expo 
free photo walk through Harlem in October 23, and that's going to be from 4.30 to 6.30. Uh, We are going to leave to I will leave together with anyone who wants to leave from the Jacob Javits Center, but we will be meeting at uh, in Harlem at 4.30, and we're going to take a photo walk, which is one that is going to be loosely based on a if a walk a walking tour that I got from National Geographic. So it, it gets us to see uh, some of the important historic and cultural sites and still gets us to some of the locations where we will find interesting people and architecture and uh, things to see in the new and emerging Harlem. All right. So I hope you can join for that. Uh, and you will also find that on the show notes for this episode of episode 40 on, on, uh, or just go to shutterbuglife.com forward slash events and you will find uh, the links there. Okay. All right. So that's it. Today we, we are going to talk about lenses. And if you're planning on buying a lens, all the things you ought to know or be considering. <laughs> All right, so today is more of a FAQ-ish kind of a an approach to buying lenses. The seven questions you have about buying lenses. The seven questions you have about buying lenses. And as with a lot of these topics, I think about when I am out with other photographers, the questions I hear most frequently. And of course, if, whether we're on a photo tour or a photo walk or a meetup or any any place where we're all gathering and we're just talking, fairly soon the topic always turns to gear. And one of the chief among them in the gear topics will be lenses. And so let's just run through, I thought we'd run through today, the questions I hear most frequently. And at the end, if there's one I missed in you let me know, and I will try to address that too. So here's the first question you, you hear. And <clears throat> I was down at uh, Ritz Camera, uh, the location in Bethesda where uh, Reggie Campbell works, and we were talking to a woman, of course, the woman comes in, and one of his customers, and, and here goes the question again. She has an older camera. She wants to upgrade. Should I invest in the lens or the camera? And you always hear that. And I think we sort of intuitively know the answer, but many of us are just looking for confirmation. So here it is, the lens. These days, so a couple ways to think about this. Number one, you can't buy a bad camera these days. If you're going to get a new camera, you cannot buy a bad camera. You can close your eyes and reach onto any camera shelf and pick up a camera body and it will be good enough for everything you want to do and probably more than that because the technology has just evolved to the point now where they're all just so so capable and they they all just they all do from the entry level on much more than professional cameras did five, six, seven years ago. So you, you can't buy a bad camera. You can buy a better camera, but you can't buy a bad one. The other thing to think about is if you think about the role the lens plays, the lens is more like the eyes and then your body and your sensor will be more like the brains. But so the the brains can't process anything until the eyes see it. So think about that. If, if 
no matter how expensive the sensor and the body might be on your camera, the image first comes through the glass. And if the image coming through the glass is subpar, then it's not a whole lot that your sensor is going to be able to do with it to make it better than subpar because it's a garbage in, garbage out situation. And so you want to make sure that what's coming into your camera is going to be the best quality. And then that, if you're, if you're in that mode, then the lens is clearly um, where, you will, where you will get the best bang for your buck. Your buck. The other thing is, uh, I'm, I'm thinking just quality of glass, your lens versus camera. But there are other things, be other things to consider, and we'll get into these as we move down the list. You know, different lenses will give you very different effects, very different capabilities, uh, different reach. And so, again, what you want to create, you will have a greater opportunity to do so by selecting the right lens more so than just selecting the right camera. So should you invest more in a lens or a camera? They're both important, but the lens will have more of an impact on your ability to create great images. Okay? So that's number one. Question number two, and this is the one you always hear after that, which lens should I buy next? And I'm always surprised at how many people will post in forums or Facebook groups or LinkedIn groups, and they'll just go, I want to buy a lens. Which one should I buy next? And, and, and provide no other information for us to help them decide and the answer that to that question will depend you know i always say well it depends and that's not a very i know satisfying answer but it's good it's it is the answer it depends it depends on on what subjects you're shooting it depends on what you need this lens to do that you can't do already with the lenses you already have and it depends on the budget you have to invest, how much money you have to invest. And if, you know, we start with those three things, you can you can begin to get a, a somewhat of a better profile of the lens you should be looking for. Now, I cover this topic in a lot more detail on a screencast that I did um, last year called What Lens Should I Buy Next? Um, if I'm upgrading for my from the kit lens. And I will have a link to that in the show notes for this page if you haven't seen it yet. But, uh, you know, I spend 40 minutes just going through this in great, greater detail. And it's worth a listen and a look. And then there's another post there, Finding Your Favorite Lens, where we talk about different classes of lenses. So uh, when you're thinking about which lens to buy next, I would I would suggest you pay you really look at those two if you're really you know, in the seriously at, at that stage of your your buying process. If you're in your kit lens and if a kit lens is the only one you have, then generally speaking, I say you need a fast prime, which is mean it's the lens that doesn't zoom. And then you'll need a decent mid zoom, mid range zoom, which is like a 24 to 70, 24 to 85, 24 to 105, something like that. Um, and that's really good for just an all-purpose walk-around lens. Anything like that makes for a good all-purpose walk-around lens. A fast prime makes it easy for you to create very shallow depth of field and shoot when it's very dark. And then a lens for the specialty that interests you. If you're, gonna, if you're thinking you're going to do more portraits, then a portrait lens. If you're thinking landscapes, a good wide-angle landscape lens. Or, or depending on what your interest is, 
interests are, then you start looking for lenses there. So, so that's a quick take on the which lens should I buy next, and then for more to go deeper, then check out the the screencast I did on it. Okay, so that's number two. Which lens should I buy next? Number three, and this is where we'll go deeper. You know, what are the key features you should look for in a lens? Now, generally speaking, people when they talk about lenses will talk about two different metrics or two different features. One is the focal length, which is the, the lens's angle of view, meaning, you know, will it bring your subject closer to you or will it let you see a wider peripheral vision left to right? What, 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 you know, how much can you see with this lens? And this is going to be one of the two sets of numbers you will see on each and every lens you buy that that will be used to describe it and will be used most frequently. So the focal length is usually measured in millimeters. So you'll see, like, say, 18 to 24, 36, which is considered in that range wide angle. A 50 millimeter in that range is considered just a standard lens. Um, going beyond that, 75 to, let's say, 150 is, uh, you know, you're getting to telephoto, and then beyond that is super telephoto. And so you have these ranges, and they all have, you know, different characteristics. So that's the first thing you're thinking about. What's the focal length you want? Do you, Are you going to be photographing things that are so far away that you can't get close to them, that you need to bring them close to you? Are you in a small area but need to be able to get a wider left to right view? Um, you know what? What? Which? Which? It, what's the? What's the situation where you'll be shooting most with that lens? And the focal length is one of the first thing. The next uh, is the aperture, and when the aperture, of course, is how wide the shutter opens. But when you see the aperture written on your lens, this is the widest your lens, your shutter will open on your camera, the widest it will open. Now, I'm hoping you know that with apertures, the smaller the number, the wider the opening. And so for a kit lens, you'll see the smallest number will be 3.5. But if you go to your, for many of the prime lenses I talked about, many of them will open to 1.8. And, you know, that's a huge difference. And the width and the amount of light you'll get in, uh, which means you can shoot in lower light without needing um, a flash much easier. And so the thing about it is the, the wider your aperture opens or the lower the number, generally speaking, the more useful the lens will be in a wider variety of lighting conditions. And so those are the lenses that are coveted more in by extension, a more expensive. And so you'll see on a kit lens 3.5 to 5.6, which means when it's at the widest angle, if you have been, let's say your lens is 18 to 55 millimeters, at 18 millimeters, it will open to f3.5. But when you zoom into 5.6, that changes and it'll only open to 5.6. And the Tamron, uh, 18 to 270, for instance, you will start at 3.5 and then at the 270 millimeters, when you're fully zoomed in, the widest it will open will be 6.3, which is not very, what they call that slow because your shutter speed will be slow if you're <laughs> at, uh, at that uh, f-stop in, in, in some lighting conditions. Okay. 
So that is your aperture. That's the other number you're looking for, which not just how wide the shutter opens, but what is the widest that shutter will open on this lens. Many lenses will have another thing called image stabilization, which means it's an optical stabilization, which, which helps with, with camera shake. Because, you know, every time you depress the shutter, you move the camera, and that movement can create camera shake. Well, you don't have to worry about that as much if you have image stabilization, because image stabilization will counter effect counter those effects and keep the image sharp. Now, different manufacturers call it different things. Image stabilization is a Canon term. If you're a Nikon shooter, you'll, you'll know it as vibration reduction. If you're in Fujifilm and Panasonic, you'll know, know it as optical image stabilization. If you're on Sigma, optical stabilization, and Tamron calls it vibration control. But they all do the same thing. They let you shoot in uh, in without getting camera shake because the camera will counteract the effects of you depressing the shutter and moving the camera. The other thing you look for, um, the features wise, is format. Like, and the format describes the sensor size the lens is designed to work with. Now, digital cameras are based on the um, they're based on the 35 millimeter film size. So every, as we discuss sizes of sensors, you know, that's really the comparison that everyone is, is using based on a 35 millimeter negative. Is this the full size of that negative or is it smaller than that? And most of your entry level and consumer level cameras use what's called APS dash C size sized sensor, which means based on the size of a, uh, a, a 35 millimeter negative, um, which is 24 by 36 millimeters, and that's the size, 24 by 36, this one is about almost half of that. And many of them, <clears throat> or at least a you see it close to about you know point six, I think is what some of them say it's uh it's twenty four by sixteen millimeters in size, so it's smaller, and so you have less real estate and and as a result some uh you get you know the quality will be just a little different but it also has different effects when you compare it to your to the 35 millimeter full size of the of the negative or sensor you get what's called a crop factor meaning in order for it to to you know to to take the photograph it does what's called a crop factor meaning it 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 looks like it's zoomed in and so you'll you'll do sort of like a 1.5 or say for instance if you're shooting on a 50 millimeter lens and you put it on one of these APS-C size sensor cameras, it becomes the equivalent of what an 85 millimeter will look like. And so when you're buying lenses, this is important because for most of your camera manufacturers, they make different sets of lenses for the cameras that use the entire uh, full frame, we call it, because it's using the entire full size of 
uh, the sensor is 24 by 36, the full, the same, the same size as your negative would be. So it's using all of that, but, but, um, if you, and I lost my train of thought cause I'm just, you know, my, my brain is just that shallow these days. No, but, but so your APS-C size sends, it has much, will be much smaller. And then the full size uses the full size of the sensor. And most camera manufacturers make lenses for each, uh, each body or sensor type. So the format is different. So you'll make, diff- they make a different um, class of lenses for their full size, full frame cameras. And then for the APS-C, they make a different um, set of lenses. And this is important because you can use the lenses made for full frame on the APS-C, meaning the ones for the, the entry level. You can use just about any of the lenses on that one. But if you buy a full frame camera, you can't use lenses or you shouldn't use lenses based on the, the smaller format. Now you can, you know, most of them will take a picture, but you just won't, it will crop it significantly and you won't get the benefit of the full frame that you're, you paid for that camera. So you want to make sure when you're buying a camera that you are using the right format. I know I told a story before, you know, being in Best Buy and watching the salesperson sell um a customer a d800 nikon with an 18 to 200 millimeter lens which i was like oh my goodness i can't believe he's doing that because the the d800 is a full frame camera and the 18 to 200 is what's called a dx lens which is the lens nikons make specifically for the the aps dash c size um, can, um, sensor lens, sensor cameras. And so if he were, I stopped him and, 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 you know, sort of gave him a tip on which were the correct lenses to buy. But if he walked out with that and he put that onto the D 800, he would find that he got a much smaller resolution image out of, uh, um, out of the camera than, than he was expecting. So you want to make sure that you're buying for, uh, the correct, format. And then the other format, of course, with mirrorless is it started out as a four third sensor. So traditional mirrorless cameras uses used the four third sensor, which is even smaller for their interchange um lens lens cameras. Of course now you have the mirrorless using APS-C and full frame. But uh, initially when when they became popular they used a smaller sensor, which is sort of a hybrid between uh, which is why they got that uh, sort of a nickname and they be- became popular. So now, if you are buying a lens, you want to make sure you understand the format you, you have, whether you have uh, APS-C, whether it's full frame, whether it's micro four-thirds. And when you buy a lens, you want to make sure you buy a lens that will be compatible with that format. All right, so that's the format. And then the lens mount is also important. Um, each, of course, the lens mount is, you know, will that lens physically fit on the camera? Because we know that's pro- proprietary as well. You can't take a Canon lens and put it on a Nikon camera or vice versa because those are propri- proprietary. 
and and they're where it is it's in the mount so lenses can't be swapped now in some cameras like some of the four thirds you have uh like if you bought a well not necessarily a four third but the mirrorless class if you bought a mirrorless camera, let's say a Sony, for instance, you can buy adapters that will allow you to use your your Nikon or Canon lenses or other manufacturers. So they have made not only their lenses available to you, but you can also use existing lenses from other manufacturers, but you will just need to buy an adapter to make that work. Okay. Now, the next thing you care about is autofocus. Now, autofocus systems now have are just so commonplace that we've just sort of we sort of take them for granted that you're going to be able to use autofocus to make sure that you always get sharp images. And of course, I I, I did the episode of why are my pictures blurry? Where we talked about autofocus um, options as one of the reasons you can, one of the things you can use to, to help diagnose why you might be getting photographs that aren't tack sharp. But the thing to know about autofocus when you're buying uh, lenses is that sometimes some cameras will have the autofocus motor built into the lens and others will have will will and some lenses won't have an auto will be able capable of autofocus but it won't be built into the lens you will have to have the autofocus motor in the body of your camera and so if you are getting one with the autofocus built into the lens of the camera i mean into in into the lens if you're getting autofocus built to the lens um the ultrasonic motors, you'll see different names. Like on Canon, you'll see USM in the name of the lens. And Nikon, you'll see AF-S for the silent wave motor, Olympus uh, SWD, supersonic wave drive. Pentax, you'll see supersonic drive motor, SDM. Sigma, you'll see HSM for hypersonic motor. Sony, you'll see SSM supersonic wave monitor tamron will see usd for the ultrasonic silent drive and tokina will see silent drive module sd-m and and all these just mean that there is a a motor in to 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 all use autofocus on the lens itself now this is important because on some entry level dslrs you need that because to make them as small and as light as they are, you will find that they will not have the autofocus motor built into the body of the camera. And so if you choose a lens that doesn't have the autofocus built in, it basically becomes a manual focus lens because um, the, the, the camera doesn't have a motor. And if the lens doesn't have a motor, then you have no autofocus capability. So you will just have... Uh, and this happens a lot if you buy ent- entry-level cameras with, and you go out and buy you know, another lens and you're not paying attention to it, you might end up with not having autofocus capability. So you want to pay attention to that if you have an, an entry-level uh, DSLR. Make sure that if it doesn't have the motor that the lens that you're buying does. And then some people, you know, some cameras, some manufacturers will still, 
you know, sell manual focus only lens. Carl Zeiss, Voigtlander, you know, they will they will create lenses that are com- completely manual focus. And then if you're buying older lenses, you know, sometimes you'll go and you'll, you know, find on the used stand an older lens and it'll be manual focus. And then you wonder, is it is the autofocus worth it? And and I always say, you know, I never knew how much I appreciated the autofocus until I didn't have it. And so it depends on what you're shooting. If you're shooting something that's at a standstill where you have time to compose and time to focus and time to get it right, you know, then an autofocus, manual focus might be okay. If you're shooting close things like macro, you're getting in close, then great. You don't need it. But if you're doing things like sports, if you're walk, you know, walking around and doing street photography, I think you might appreciate the autofocus more than you realize. And so depending on what you shoot, you might want to steer away from the manual focus only lenses. All right. The next thing you, you will see, they'll talk about elements in groups. And this is probably one of those, those, topics where it gets a bit foggy, right? Because the elements are just individual pieces of glass that they use when they construct the lens. So they individually grind and they polish this lens. And I'll have a video of this on my show notes so you can see how it's actually done. Uh, And you'll have a good appreciation for why lenses are as precise as they are and as expensive as they are, because it's a very labor and very labor intensive and very precise and um, process. And so, you know, they're polishing and they're, and they're grinding it and they're making it. So when light passes through the light, is focused in a very specific way, because if it's not, you have things called aberrations and you might've heard of chromatic aberrations where all the, the beams of light aren't focused together and if they're not together, then you get these little purple ghosting effects on things in your images. So that's why it's important. And the more care and time and, and, and that they use, then, of course, the better the lens will perform. And then they take these elements and they cement them together in groups. And they call these sort of groupings of elements. And so, you know, they use an optical transparent glue and then they... They, you know, attach them together and then each element within the group is designed to correct for something different. So by the, so when the light passes all the way through, it, it passes through a number of corrections. So by the time it gets to your center, the, it should be perfect. And so when you, when you, when you see camera manufacturers advertising lenses, they tell you about the numbers of lenses, uh, you know, groups, and elements, and they don't, and and they, they sort of imply that more is better. They don't come out and say it, so you're not really sure. What does this mean? Why are they tell me this? Because I know I struck, I scratched my head a few times on that when I first saw it. Like, okay, why do we care about this? Well, you know, with enough of them, you can you can correct the light enough so that is perfect. But but more doesn't always mean better. I mean, better means better, not more meaning better, and so. It's sort of hard to use that as an arbitrary standard, um, but generally speaking, when you when you do see more, um, they have taken time to really work on it, and then that means the lens is much heavier. So, for instance, if you have like a Nikon twenty eight to seventy eight f two eight, um, it's a great mid range zoom. It has fifteen elements, eleven groups, and it weighs more than two pounds. But 
this lens is the workhorse. It's sharp from end to end. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's beautiful. And let me tell you something. If you, if you don't think you can see the difference, you shoot an image with your kit lens and you put that, that, uh, that lens on and you shoot the same thing and you will see the difference in your, in your photographs again, because the lens matters quite a bit. So those are the features that you are looking at when you are buying a, when you're buying a lens. You know, you're looking at uh, the focal length, the aperture, whether or not there's image stabilization, the format, uh, the lens mount, the autofocus capability, and then the elements and groups. Question number four: Should I buy a lens from the same manufacturer as my camera? So you get that next, like, you know, do I, if I have a Canon camera, do I really need to buy Canon lenses? And my answer to that is going to be, if you can afford it, absolutely. If you can, if you, if you own a Canon, a Nikon or Sony, whomever, and you can afford to buy their lenses, then you ought to buy their lenses. And I I think it, you know, when you ask I, last year when I was at uh, Photo Plus Expo, I went and I talked with, and I asked this question, you know, why should we buy your lens and not um, a, a Tamron or a Sigma? And they said, well, you know, out, outside of the glass, the lenses are electronic, are powered by, by very sophisticated, sophisticated electronics, and we make our electronics to work with our cameras, and they will work best with our cameras because we know it you know, everything that goes into it and another manufacturer might not. So, okay. But here's the thing I know. I have never known anyone who bought a Nikon or a Canon lens and regretted it and said, I should have bought a, you know, another manufacturer instead. I've just never seen that happen. And the other thing is they hold their value much better. So if you ever decide you wanted to sell a lens and move on, generally speaking, I've sold a lot of lenses in my day. I've bought and sold a lot of lenses and I always get better return on my investment when I'm buying one from the original manufacturer. Now that said, I said, if you can afford it now, does that mean that you can't get a good lens? That is not absolutely not. You can get a great lens from Tamron or from uh, Sigma and, uh, and then, of course, extremely, you get great lenses from the Carl Zeiss and the other, you know, some of the other premium glass manufacturers. So you can get really good quality from a lot of these others. But in terms of quality, not quality control, but knowing what you're going to get, I, I always know what I'm going to get when I buy the same lens as the manufacturer. I'm not quite sure with the others. And so you want to do your due diligence because, you know, I have bought some Tamron lenses that I just hated and uh, I bought some that I thought were cool and that worked just fine. And so you can get a good lens and, and that's why I say if you can afford it, if it's in the budget, then of course buy it. But if, if it's not in the budget, I mean, don't go broke buying it, you know, don't go broke buying them. You can do just as well with um one that's going to be probably some in many cases half of the half of the cost and so and and so you'll pay half the cost and and for most parts you will get you know good enough 
for whatever you need to do. Now, if you if you insist that you have to have it, then I'd say and you can't afford it. I'd say rent it for whatever you need to. Let's say you're in business and you're you're you you want to go professional and you need these lenses, then rent them for your gigs and, and you know, tack that onto the cost of the of that you pass on to your clients if you need that until you can afford to buy one. So don't go broke over it because you can do just as well with Sigmas, especially I like their lenses quite a, quite a bit. So, so, so that's the answer to, should I only buy lenses from the same manufacturer as my camera? Um, yeah, a lot of them make great glass, but if you can afford it, it's, it, I think it's worth it to buy the, the original manufacturer's lens. Um, number five, should I buy a used lens? And so this is sort of the same answer. It's a great alternative. If you decide you want to buy a lens of the same manufacturer and you can't afford the new one, then of course used becomes an option to get the same functionality at a lower cost. And, and so when I say used, you can, you have a range of options there. You can do everything from finding a person selling it on eBay or Craigslist to going to a camera store and buying it used or even buying a refurbished one. And so if I am looking at buying a used lens, I look at, you know, like at B&H, for instance, you can go to their used camera section and you will see that each of the used cameras will also have a rating for the, uh, the in the sort of the, the wear and tear, you know, is it, is it in pristine condition? If there are there a couple nicks and scratches, if is it, you know, beat up. And so, and then the cost will go up or down, you know, depending on the quality, uh, or the, the condition of the lens. So you can use that as a guide. If you're, you know, in the, in the, if you're looking for used lenses and uh, if you don't mind a couple of cosmetic scratches, you can save a little, even more money. And those lenses come with a warranty, at least a 30 day warranty. I, I bought a used lens once for B&H and it didn't work with my camera. I took it back and got all my money back. You know, you don't get that when you buy it from a person because it's as is buyer beware. So uh, that's an option. Um, refurbished takes it back to the manufacturer's specification. So it's like getting a new camera. You don't get quite the new, uh, camera warranty, but you know, you get enough of a warranty that if you don't mind taking a little risk, you will get the, the benefit of what is essentially a new camera lens. Okay. Um, and of course, buying from an in individual carries you know, more risk, but possibly more reward. If you're buying that from a, from a photographer, generally speaking, they know what they have already. So they're going to be looking to maximize what they can get from their lenses because they know what it costs and they know the, the value of it. Sometimes you might get from someone who's selling lens from, for someone else. They don't know what quite what they have, you know, you know, old cousin Harry died and left us all these lenses and we don't want them. So, you know, take them all for 10 bucks and you're looking and going, Oh my God, that's a thousand dollar lens on the table. And you know, you're killing yourself getting the $10 bill out. You know, sometimes you luck up and other times, um, not so much. You, you buy one on eBay and get it and it'll be a dud. So there is more risk there, but you can sometimes save even more money. So 
Should you buy a used lens? Yeah, again, if you're trying to save money, it's a great alternative, and it's a great way to get the, the manufacturer's lens without paying the full, the full price. So number six, what do I look for when I'm buying a used lens? Usually, I, as I said before, I, I check the going rates on, you know, for what the used lenses cost on B and I look on Amazon, I look on eBay, and any place where place where you can see the same model being sold, and I get a, an idea of the range that, um, you know, the market is, you know, what the market will bear for that lens, so I can tell if the seller is within that range or just out of whack. If it's too, if it's much lower than the going range, then of course that's a red flag that something is not right there. And if it's too high, then you know, the, you know that person's just being greedy, and I can move on. The other thing I do is I read the reviews, um, the new reviews from places like DPReview.com, and then I would also read reviews from owners of that model. So if you are looking at, let's say, Amazon or B&H, you'll see lists of reviews there of actual people who bought that lens, and I would scan them to see if there are any uh, themes there of, from about problems that owners have had, because that will also give you an idea whether or not you want to buy the other thing is I would ask for pictures of the of the actual product. I don't want to see, you know, a shot of the B&H model. I want to see the one I'm buying if I'm buying it online. And I'm looking for close-ups on all sides. And if you're buying a, a lens from a photographer, there's no reason why this photographer would not have decent images of the lens. Not having decent images of the lens for me is a red flag if a photographer is selling a lens. Um, that said, the flip side of that is we know how to make things look good. And, uh, so, you know, when you want to take that into consideration, also a good photographer will make a crappy lens look good. So you, but in any event, you still want to see pictures of the actual product. If I'm meeting in person, I always be in a safe public place. No, you're not going to come to my house to buy my lens. If I, if I don't know who you are, no, I'm not going to your house to buy your lens. We're going to meet at Best Buy you know, at the front of the parking lot, right by the doorway with an eye shot of the security guard. That's where we're going to do our transaction um, or some other public place. Sometimes that we've met in the mall. I met someone inside a mall area because you want to be somewhere where you're going to be safe. And then, of course, um, you want to check the external condition. You're looking for dings and scratches and dents. You're looking for for signs of, of abuse, like did this person drop this lens? You're looking for those kinds of dents that say, yeah, this, this lens had a bad day. Um, and then you are looking for just, you know, wear and tear beyond what should be normal for the age of the lens. Now you're buying a used lens, so sometimes a few scratches, again, you can, if it doesn't affect the performance of the lens, um, is uh, might be a way to save you know more money on it. You wrote anything that's supposed to rotate. You check the zoom. You check the manual focus. You check the aperture. You move and you make sure everything is moving smoothly. You know there are no uh, places where it gets stuck or it it. Uh, you know sometimes when you're 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 zooming a lens, it might stick somewhere and then you can't turn smoothly from end to end. 
you know, if that happens, then, then that should be a clue that something's not right with the lens. Um, if it's, if anything is making noises or feeling too loose, you know, that's a problem. You look for the, uh, check the internal condition. You look through the lens, you point the lens up at a, at, at a sort of a, like a white wall, any bright source. And then you look inside for Dutch, for dust and you look for scratches. Um, most importantly, you look, make sure there's no fungus in there because fungus is almost impossible to get rid of. And it, and it just, the lens is just gone. Um, so you look for that and then you, you look for, you know, the, the, the clear uniform bright circle, make sure there are no scratches, spidery lines, blotches on edges, anything like that. Um, and then make sure everything is working and in good condition. If you have the lens and you bought it, uh, online, then you want to shoot with it every day for, you know, a, a f several days just to make sure that it continues to work and any intermittent problems will show up or, you know, cause sometimes you'll, it'll, everything will work fine the first time. And then, you know, three or four uses later, then you start the real problems start to show themselves. So, you know, you want to make sure you shoot with it every day, especially if you're shooting for one of those, like the one, the lens I had from B and H that I had to return was worked fine the first time I used it, and then I took it to New Orleans, and the second day, it just started getting all wacky on me, and then and by the end of the trip, it was just unusable, but it was fine, and you know when I used it the first time, and in the store, everything worked perfectly. So you want to make sure that you continue using it over a few days just to make sure that any you know, intermittent problems will will show up. Okay. And then finally, number seven, why are they so flippant expensive? Again, as I said, it's because it's a, and it's a very precise and labor intensive process. And the only way to really get a, a good appreciation for this is to see the video that I'm going to include on the, on the way they make lenses. And even if you suffer through all nine minutes of the video, you'll have a great appreciation, but even one or two minutes, you, you will know, wow, this is a, there's a lot of work that goes into this that you might not have been aware of. So, uh, take a take a, take a peek at that and you will get an appreciation for what goes into creating your lens and why it costs so much as a result. All right. So that's it. Those are the seven questions you ask and most frequently and my answers for, you know, if you are ever thinking about buying a lens. Thank you so much. That wraps up episode 40 on seven questions you ask when buying a lens. Now, if there is a question I didn't cover, then just drop it in the comments on the page uh, for episode 40. You go to shutterbuglife.com um, forward slash podcast and then just search for episode 40 or just go to bit.ly forward slash shutterbuglife040 and that will take you directly to this page for this episode. And if there's a question I missed, drop it there and I will try and respond to it as well. Thank you so much for sticking around and for being a part of the Shutterbug Life community. Remember, we do this weekly and you can make sure you never miss another episode by subscribing and going to shutterbuglife.com forward slash subscribe or subscribing and listening and following on, on iTunes, which you can find by going to itunes.shutterbuglife.com, 
or just by going to Stitcher and searching for us there at Stitcher. Right. So and then, of course, we keep the conversation going in our Facebook group, fb.shutterbuglife.com. Join us there. And we are in the middle of I think we're all doing the selfie challenges now, which are uh, a bit wacky, but they're creative and they, they're just they're they're fun. So go on by and see what we're doing and uh, jump, jump in and join us. If you're in the Washington DC area, the meetup group is Shutterbug excursions. And if you're in learning mode, photo tour DC, I'm doing night workshop coming up and one on mastering natural light and uh, the 10 steps to great picture. So all good stuff. And I'm hoping I can meet you either here next week or in person or online, but wherever you, wherever you are and whatever you do, you enjoy your shut up book life. All right. Take care.